Welcome to Holistic History, the Fall of Celtic Britain. I'm Tony Frost, and this is Episode 2. In Episode 1, we outlined the conditions that led to Britain becoming independent of the Western Roman Empire and the political rivalry between its two largest factions, one Romano-British and the other Roman, covering the period of the reign of the monarch Vortigern. In this episode, we will outline the course of events of the wars the Britons fought against their foreign enemies. We'll begin with an explanation as to why Britain was being attacked in the first place. Poverty is the greatest cause of warfare. It accounts for more wars than everything else put together. All empires grew up as a result of the struggle for resources and dominance of trade routes. Poverty is why the Roman Empire was built and why the so-called barbarians tore down the Western Roman Empire in the 5th century. To quote Theodoric the Great of the Goths, All Goths want to be Roman. Only a poor Roman would want to be a Goth. The Empire and post-Roman Britain had an agricultural-based economy. The peasant farmers produced the food that supported the rest of the population. This is also what made Britain militarily weak. Farming was labor-intensive. Even the lowest estimates say that at least 80% of the population were farmers, meaning that all of the other occupations, including warriors, had to come from only about 20% of the population. The Britons could, and no doubt did, pull some men out of the fields for military purposes, but these men would have only been called up in limited numbers and for a few months at a time. Also, their military training and equipment would generally have been poor. Their enemies had no such limitations. The Irish and Picts both had pastoralist societies based upon cattle and other animals. They were ruled by a warrior class, but all the animal herders were trained fighters, and they were expected to defend their herds from raids by rival clans. They could also be easily recruited to raid others. The Anglo-Saxons were hunter-gatherers. In these societies, virtually all able-bodied men were hunters, and all hunters were warriors. Once the Anglo-Saxons started conquering lands, they did stop being hunter-gatherers. They supplanted what we would now call the upper and middle classes but left the peasant farmers in place to continue to do the work. All this meant that although the Britons had a larger population than their enemies, they could call upon a much smaller percentage of their population for military purposes. A study done by Cambridge University in 2015 shows that only about 38% of the population of England show indications of being genetically descended from Anglo-Saxons, and this group is concentrated in the eastern half of the country. The Irish invaded the island of Great Britain in the 4th century, they established a total of four colonies, but only three were of concern to the Britons. The fourth was in Pictish territory in the western highlands. It was called Dalriada. Over hundreds of years, it eventually conquered all of the north of the island, becoming Scotland. The other three Irish colonies were Gwynedd in northern Wales, Diffid in southwestern Wales, and Dumnonia in what is today Somerset, Dorset, Devon, and Cornwall. Irish from these colonies and from Ireland itself raided the Britons. The Picts also raided out of the highlands in the north. The northern border between the Picts and Britons needs explaining. Hadrian's Wall is usually said to have marked the northern extent of Roman Britain. For most of the imperial period this was true, but the situation changed in the late 470s or early 480s. There were four British tribes north of the Wall that the Romans never conquered. Every time the Picts raided Roman Britain, they had the support of uh, at least one of these tribes. That situation changed when a Roman leader named Magnus Maximus deposed the chieftains of these four tribes and replaced them with officers from the Roman army, backed up by units of Roman soldiers to secure their authority over these tribes. The nobles that governed these provinces in the post-Roman period were descended from these officers. 
so what is now southern Scotland was part of post-Roman Britain. After the Britons gained their independence from the Western Roman Empire, the Britons remained on the defensive, trying to hold the Irish and Picts at bay. As time went on, the situation became intolerable. In 446, someone in Britain, we don't know who, sent a letter to Aetius, the Council of the Western Empire, asking for military aid. Since Vortigern was the monarch, it was probably sent by him. The, the reply has not survived, but it must have stated that the Romans had no help to give. Vortigern convened some sort of a council to find a solution to the military problems. The decision was taken in council to hire Germanic mercenaries. Small groups of such mercenaries had been in Britain since late Roman times, but this time they were invited in much larger numbers. This happened in the early 450s. The mercenaries were led by the brothers Hengist and Horsa, with Hengist being the senior. At first, these men did what they were hired to do, and the Irish and Pictish attacks were neutralized. Vortigern then tried to convince the mercenaries to leave, but Hengist talked him out of it. Instead, he convinced the monarch to do the exact opposite and invite in more mercenaries. According to tradition, he even convinced Vortigern to marry his daughter, but there's no evidence to support this story. The mercenaries were Angles and Jutes. The Angles were settled in what are now Norfolk and Suffolk, while the Jutes were given Kent, with Hengist being made the noble who governed this province. The sources say that the original group arrived in only three ships, but this second group came in 16 ships, clearly a much larger force. This influx of reinforcements made it possible to liberate some of the territory that had been lost to the Irish. And these expeditions also included British troops and were led by British commanders. There is no surviving information on the course of these campaigns. What we do know is that a man named Kynan, who came from Vortigern's province of Powys, liberated Dumnomnia and became the ruling noble, while Cunetha of Mano Godothan got Gwyneth, except for the island of Anglesey, which remained in Irish hands. As was stated in the previous episode, Kynan was in the Romano-British faction and Cunetha in the Roman faction. So far, things had gone Vortigern's way, but that was about to drastically change. The mercenaries began to complain that their payments were both late and incomplete. The situation soon came to a head in open rebellion. The surviving information only concerns Kent, indicating that Hengist and the Jutes rebelled. As for the Angles, either the rebellion was easily contained or they didn't rebel at all. Most modern reconstructions accept the basic account of the rebellion found in the ruin and conquest of Britain by Gildas. However, in our series on King Arthur, we made the case that this is, account is a pack of lies because Vortigern was a Romano-Briton, but Gildas was in the Roman faction. According to him, the Britons lost badly to the mercenaries. The surviving information from other sources tells a different story. Archaeology does not show widespread devastation in this period. The Britons, led by Vortigern's son Vortimer, fought a tactically indecisive battle against Hengus. The mercenaries withdrew to Thanet. In those days, Thanet was an island just off the coast of Kent. The channel has silted up in the intervening centuries, and now Thanet is part of Kent. Hengus convinced his followers to continue the war and to invite in yet more mercenaries. This group was made up of Saxons. Hengus invaded Kent and fought three more inconclusive battles against Vortimer. Horsa, Hengist's brother, was killed in one of these battles, as was Vortimer's brother, Catagern. Vortimer himself died of an unknown illness shortly after the third battle. Having been stalemated militarily, Hengist decided to switch to trickery. He pretended to agree to a treaty. Vortigern and his supporting nobles and generals attended a feast to celebrate the peace. Hengist and his men waited hours until the Britons' bellies were full of food and drink. Then Hengist cried out, Draw your knives! 
Each of his men had concealed a knife in his boot. Vortigern's men were slaughtered, and the monarch himself was held for ransom. This event shows that Gildas's version is a lie. If Hengist and his men had been winning, as Gildas insisted, then why did they resort to such a trick? The massacre only makes sense if he was trying to break a stalemate. The ransom consisted of granting land. No doubt, Hengist was accepted as ruler of Kent, while the Saxons were allowed to settle in the areas that were to become Sussex, Essex, and Middlesex. The Britons maintained overall authority in Sussex, but we do not know if that was true for Essex and Middlesex, or if they were ruled outright by the Saxons. The leader of the Roman faction, Ambrosius the Elder, had been forced into exile with his family. He appears to have been dead by the time the massacre took place. But his son, Ambrosius Aurelianus, returned to Britain and rallied his supporters to him. By the time he arrived, Vortigern had been released. Ambrosius chased Vortigern to a castle in Wales, burned it to the ground, and killed Vortigern and seized power. To sum up, the Britons had limited military resources because most of their population had to be farmers in order to maintain the food supply. Peoples who had become Anglo-Saxons arrived in several waves. At first they were mercenaries who aided the Britons against their enemies, allowing the Britons to contain the raiders and recover some of the lands lost to the Irish. But the mercenaries rebelled and the leaders of Vortigern's faction were slaughtered in an ambush. This allowed for the rise of Ambrosius Aurelianus of the Roman faction. Please join us next time for an account of the military situation during the reign of Ambrosius. This has been Holistic History, The Fall of Celtic Britain. I'm Tony Frost. Until next time, I hope you stay safe. <laughs>